contact, making contact, making, making, making contact. This week, we hear from one organization whose mission is to prevent and reduce pollution in California. This is massive oil drilling with a lot of noise and pollution. Not letting people sleep 24-7. They were operating under very weak permit conditions by the city of LA. And even those weak permit conditions are not enforced. But first, we go to Northern California. My old cat. He had woke up my mom because I guess like my face was all purple and stuff and I couldn't breathe. Pre-existing asthma makes kids more vulnerable to smoke from wildfires. And those are increasing due to climate change. I worry about fires a lot. Like, even today I'm kind of still worried about fire. We bring you the experience of one little girl in a neighborhood with high asthma rates and other health challenges. On certain California maps, there's a swath of downtown Vallejo shaped like a trapezoid. It's census tract number 2509, and it posts some of the unhealthiest community conditions in the state. High asthma rates, low birth weights, and poverty-related stressors that contribute to those poor health outcomes, including, many point out, systemic racism. But if you could zoom in close to get behind the data to the people, you'd find this little girl playing in the living room of a ground floor apartment. My name's Takira Danette Bird. I like coloring, drawing, and hanging out with my friends. And when I grew up, I always wanted to be a scientist. The ones that study like cares and stuff. In recent years, extreme fire seasons have spewed more harmful wildfire smoke into the air Takira breathes. Experts attribute that trend to climate change. And that global phenomenon is taking a very local toll on Takira and other kids like her, whether they know it or not. Takira is snuggling her cat Oreo while we talk. Her medical records show she was diagnosed with asthma at age five. She's 11 now. Outdoor exertion is one of her triggers, and she says it can be scary. We only have PE and I run a lot. It makes me feel kind of weak and stuff, and it makes me feel like I can't breathe. And my, um, like, it feels like my lungs are like just closing up and stuff. Takira lives with her mom and two brothers at the Marina Vista Apartments, a low-income housing development of blocky two-story buildings. Residents here make up a big chunk of the population in Census Tract 2509. And according to the California Healthy Places Index, only one-third of one percent of census tracts statewide have less healthy conditions. Four years ago, Takira had her first big crisis. Well, on that day when the asthma tick, I was really, really sick, and when I fell asleep, I remember my old cat, he had woke up my mom because I guess like my face was all purple and stuff, and I couldn't breathe. Her mom, Shantiera Dalton, ran into the living room where Takira sleeps. When I looked at her face, I hurry up and put the treatment on her. I immediately rushed her to the hospital and they gave her helium and oxygen at the same time to open up her lungs to have her to breathe again. Takira is thin and lithe, like a blade of wild grass swaying in the wind. She tends to put a positive spin on things, even that emergency treatment of Heliox, which doctors save for the most serious cases. I was put on that for an hour, 
I couldn't even talk because the thing was on my mouth and on my nose. It made me sound like a squeaky mouse. Takira stayed in the hospital for days and went home with a bunch of new prescriptions. But her records show her mom would run out of some key maintenance meds over the next few years, partly because of hitches with her Medi-Cal, the government insurance program that serves low-income families in this state. Gaps in Takira's treatment made controlling her asthma harder, and she landed back in the ER again and again. Meanwhile, the most destructive fires in California history started burning. Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, mandatory evacuation order. Leave your homes. Come on, she's disabled. All right, all right, let me get her feet. Let me get her feet. That's a deputy's body cam from the 2017 Tubbs fire, which burned parts of Napa and Sonoma counties, decimating several Santa Rosa neighborhoods. Its speed and ferocity made it the most destructive in California by far, at least for a year. The smoke spread so far that even in the Bay Area, air quality readings were more toxic than Beijing's. But the next year, the even deadlier campfire consumed the entire Butte County town of Paradise, generating even more toxic smoke that drifted for several hundred miles. And last fall, as this NBC report notes, the Kincaid Fire, which burned nearly 80,000 acres in Sonoma County. Okay, as we mentioned earlier, the smoke is impacting the air quality both near the fire and across the entire Bay Area. This right here is a time-lapse video from our San Francisco camera where you can see that smoke rolling in. Even though some of these fires burned far from Takira's home, they produced tiny particulate matter that can travel great distances and lodge deep in the lungs, causing damage. Studies show that smoky days have correlated with spikes in ER visits for lung and heart problems in real time. And Takira's mom and grandma both told me that she felt that short-term damage, even getting sent home from school on high smoke days because of her breathing struggles. But Takira's worst experiences didn't coincide with the poorest air quality days. They came later. Based on what we know from outdoor air pollution and about asthma biology in general, the effects can be cumulative. That's Dr. John Balms, a professor of medicine and environmental health sciences who studies the impact of air pollution on kids. There's a lot we still don't know about the long-term health effects of wildfire smoke, but a recent Stanford University study showed potentially lasting damage to the immune systems of kids who've been exposed to fire smoke. And an investigation by Reveal for the Center for Investigative Reporting found a spike in ER visits for lung and heart ailments three to five months after the Tubbs fire. So, like with daily air pollution, Baum says, it's pretty clear the insult of smoke to the lungs can cause harm over time. A child could be exposed to wildfire smoke for a period and have some increase in airway inflammation, which would then put them at greater risk for exacerbations from allergens that they're sensitized to or make them more at risk for having exacerbation when they get a cold. Environmental justice issues come into play, too. Takira is black, and black children are disproportionately affected by asthma, more likely to be hospitalized for it and even to die from it, especially in low-income neighborhoods like this census tract, home to Vallejo's most concentrated black population. Those asthma trends are due in part to greater exposure to air pollution from industry and freeway soot. But, Baum says, also... Discrimination, poor housing, poverty, crime, 
negative aspects of neighborhoods such as noise, garbage. Bombs is researching that stew of factors right now in Richmond, not far from Vallejo. He's focusing on daily air quality conditions, but says that wildfire smoke is likely to differentially impact kids in these neighborhoods. In the year following the Tubbs fire, Takira's records show she was rushed to Kaiser Vallejo's emergency room every three to four months, wheezing and short of breath. Then the campfire started burning, and a week later, Vallejo posted its worst air quality of 2018. Shantiera, Takira's mom, says she followed public health advice, like this warning from our report on KPIX. In a statement, the Air District urged people to stay inside with windows and doors closed until smoke levels subside and warned that the most vulnerable populations are the elderly, those with respiratory illnesses and children. Windows and doors closed. That helps if your windows and doors keep the smoke out. But Marina Vista's oldest apartment blocks were built about 50 years ago. And about half a dozen residents, including Shantiera, told me the smoke came right in. It got a lot of aluminum windows. I feel like we need double-painted windows or something. Smoke pollution can quickly build to unhealthy levels indoors. It's one of those areas where resources affect health. Balms points out that his wife has asthma, so in their Berkeley home, they've installed a ventilation system with a high-end filter that can be switched to internal circulation during smoke days. They've also got air cleaners in every room. Shantira did run out to Best Buy for something in her price range. I had to get a, um, what is it, a humidifier and an air cleanser. It was clearing up the air, but I guess it didn't work enough for her. Then, three months after Vallejo experienced its worst air quality of 2018, Takira was back in the hospital, working very hard to breathe, the notes say, unable to hold a long conversation. I was scared because I had to get an IV. I don't like IVs. They always put it in the same arm. But then this one, you know, I scared, so she took her time putting the fluid all the way in. Takira was transferred to the pediatric ICU in Oakland again by ambulance. The road is bumpy and stuff, and it was fun. And then when we arrived at the hospital, I was kind of all scared again. There was just like a whole bunch of doctors and nurses crowding the whole entire bed and stuff. Can we recover? Shantira is a singer, and Takira says during that time in ICU, she just like sometimes just sing. Especially during mom's long overnight stays. It was like a little couch that lets out to a bed. Nature now, Lord, carry me high. Don't let the world break me tonight. But as brave a little girl as Takira is, her mom says these hospitalizations have been scary and depressing. Come and carry me home. Oh. It was just a horrible experience. I just remember crying a lot because they kept coming in the room doing extra stuff to her. I was like, oh my God. Living at Marina Vista hasn't helped. Notes in Takira's medical file a few months after that ICU stay list smoke and bad air day as a few of her asthma triggers. Others include traffic pollution from busy streets near the apartment, strong-smelling cleaning products, must and mold. It's a lot of mildew around here, too. And? Roaches can trigger her asthma. Um, mice. We can stay, like, across where the trash cans are. I feel like they should move them somewhere else or at least spray more often for 
roaches and mice. Sometimes we'll see them all outside the apartments and inside um, bathrooms and it's just everywhere. Shantaria went to war inside the apartment, but toxic mist can also be an asthma irritant. That's why I stopped using the bomb. I just got the bait and the, the spray. There's a lot of kids around here too, and it's depressing. And all the other apartments around here that are tax credit or subsidized apartments, they're all built way better. Last fall, Takira was back at the emergency room again on a cardiac monitor, getting a continuous flow of asthma meds through a nebulizer. A week later, Sonoma County's Kincaid fire started raging. Meanwhile, a second grass fire began burning into Vallejo. I remember like the clouds were a little bit pink and stuff, and it was really just smoke everywhere. Winds were high too, so PG&E shut off power, a blackout that for Marina Vista residents lasted for days. The treatments, none of them rely on power, right? There isn't like a thing you have to plug in to give her... Yeah, Oh, it, it does. Yeah. That's right. Without electricity, Takira couldn't use her nebulizer. In a crisis that could mean life or death, the family headed to Grandma's house in Contra Costa County and stayed through Halloween. I was pissed in the dad's room. Mm-hmm. I was like coughing and stuff, but I was... I was so so busy playing with my cousins and knocking on doors to get candy and stuff that I didn't um, really care. About two weeks later, you guessed it, back to the ER. Asthma has been a part of Takira's life for years now. Inhaling that tiny harmful particulate matter from fire smoke, that's just one of her many triggers. But over the past few years, it's joined the list of forces outside her control that cause her anxiety. I worry about a fire is a lot. Like, even today, I'm kind of still worried about fire. During those smoky days last fall, her thoughts turned to her uncle, who also has asthma. I was kind of worried about him, too, because he lived right down the street, and he also didn't have any electricity. Oh, yeah, and his daughter was premature, too, and she was having difficulty breathing, too. So, yeah. Takira and her mom both tell me they tend to associate fire with arson, a single human act of destruction. What's newer to them is the broader phenomenon of global climate change. Science shows that heavy human reliance on fossil fuels has been the main contributor to the accumulation of greenhouse gases in our atmosphere. That has contributed to hotter, drier, longer, and more devastating fire seasons in some parts of the world, including the American West. Shantiera says she now feels like she's part of a larger collective experience, with families she's never met dozens or hundreds of miles away, and it's painful. A lot of lives was lost. A lot of people lost homes and stuff, too, because I almost lost my only daughter. Not just me, but for everyone that had to go through that, it was horrible. The talk of big, out-of-control fires consuming miles and miles of trees, it rings a bell for Takira, even if climate change doesn't. My teacher was telling us about the fires in Australia. These whole bunch of um, trees on fire, and then there's these animals, and they live there. And most of the animals had died from them because their houses were, like, burning from the trees and stuff. I think that he said the birds survived because they fly, but... I sat down with Takira and her mom in early March, right before the COVID shelter-in-place started. 
I didn't go to school today because my mom's kind of worried about the virus going around and stuff. And you know, like it's gonna make me feel like I can't breathe anymore. Or like, I don't know all the other symptoms it causes, but that's the only one I know. I dropped by one more time in late June to catch up outside the apartment door with my mask on. Shantiera says Takira's been doing pretty well with her asthma the past few months. Maybe because sheltering in place has reduced air pollution. Maybe because she's just getting older. She does get scared at times. She's like, no, I'm going to get sick. I can't touch that. She constantly washes her hands. You know, sometimes her hands get dry. She complain about that. But she's like, nope, I'm not going to get sick. I, at least I'm not going to get sick. Well, I'm like, yeah, I know. She doesn't want that experience. I think she's still traumatized by it. Some good news? The family's apartment block at Marina Vista is about to undergo a major renovation. It'll take about a year and they'll have to move to a different unit for a bit. But the makeover should help Takira with some of her asthma triggers. In Vallejo, I'm Lee Romney. You're listening to Making Contact. To find out more about the people and organizations in this program, check out our website at radioproject.org. When we come back, we'll hear about a community in Southern California with the highest concentration of oil refineries in the Western U.S. In the first part of the show, we heard about Takira Danette Bird's struggles with asthma, exacerbated by air pollutants from wildfire smoke and other tiny particles called PM2.5. Now we'll go to Southern California, where one section of Los Angeles County is bombarded with pollutants from oil refineries, a massive trucking thoroughfare, and one of the world's largest ocean ports. Baram Fazeli is the Research and Policy Director of Communities for a Better Environment. So the San Pedro Port Complex, the ports of LA and neighboring Long Beach, and the Associated Goods, goods Movement are a source um, in the Port uh, is the largest port complex in the United States. It's responsible for uh, approximately 40% of the waterborne cargo that enters the country and is one of the major sources of pollution uh, in the area. In addition to that, refineries in the Wilmington-Carson area, uh, which is, has the largest concentration of refineries in the western United States, is a major source of uh, PM2.5. So Wilmington, which is the southernmost part of the city of Los Angeles, sort of a nine square mile with a population of around 50,000 uh, working class Latinx, uh, the, it's situated um, right next to the San Pedro port complex. Uh, which, as I mentioned, is the biggest port complex in, in the country and a major source of pollution. It has, uh, you know, that Wilmington and the neighboring community of Carson, it has the largest concentration of the refineries in the western United States, so makes it the major source of pollution for volatile organic compounds, PM2.5, and NOx uh, emissions that uh, results in uh, major health impacts. Also, it has the highest concentration of uh, active and idle oil drilling uh, in the city of Los Angeles. And in addition to that, there are other sources of uh, pollution, uh, chemical 
facilities and other heavy and light industrial facilities that uh, create a wide range of pollutions. These are um, you know, compounds like, for example, benzene that are cancer-causing uh, and a wide range of other pollutants um, that are used in um, oil drilling um, activities. Um, then uh, noxious oxides of nitrogen, essentially that um, they create, they cause health impacts on their own, and they also are precursors in creating particulate matter like PM two point five. PM two point five is you know just particulate matters that are less than two point five micron, or uh, essentially, you know, each micron is a one millionth of a meter. So this is uh, PM two point five is one thirtieth the size of a thickness of a human hair. So they pe penetrate deep into the lungs and cause major health problems. Because fossil fuel is inherently uh, pollutant. So, so we can do a lot of things to reduce uh, level of emissions in the refineries uh, and uh, by better engineering practices, best, putting best practices, uh, we can reduce emissions in oil drilling operations and reduce emissions in cars. But ultimately, the best way to prote protect public health, um, transition away from uh, fossil fuels uh, altogether, because in addition to being a major public health threat, um, different aspects of refinery operations are... Um, a big threat, obviously, to the climate uh, by creating catastrophic climate change. So it's both a local public health threat and also uh, creates uh, global threats um, for everybody. So those are those are the stuff that CBE is working on. Um, you know, we do a lot of work around refineries because we organize in the two big refinery communities of Richmond in Northern California and in um, Wilmington. Uh, we work a lot on um, you know, try. You know, we have an active campaign in the city of Los Angeles to try to end uh, urban oil drilling um, and phase out urban oil drilling uh, in the city. Um, and um, we are also doing similar things around the county and the state. There's a coalition of us that's working with various folks in LA County to work towards um, uh, realizing that goal of uh, ending. Uh, uh, oil drilling in LA County, uh, which is uh, identified and highlighted um, in the LA County Sustainability Plan, which is called Our County. Um, so that is one of the uh, one of the other things we work. We also have a statewide campaign where we are trying to f uh, phase out oil drilling uh, along the um, uh, communities that uh, live. Uh, near um, oil drilling operations. So we, we have a proposal for um, uh, statewide uh, decision makers to phase out oil drilling uh, within 2,500 feet of uh, sensitive receptors, which are like schools, homes, um, and essentially uh, residential population um, near oil drilling operations you know, reasons why these problems uh, are not being addressed. Um, you know, one, um, so, so 
oil drill, you know, extraction, refining, production, combustion, or in other words, drilling, refining, and burning of fossil fuel in cars, trucks, and ships are inherently pollutant, you know, polluting as well. So, you know, we have to move towards sort of phasing out. So, um, uh, and also while we are phasing them out, uh, there has to be uh, serious attempts at reducing these emissions because they are a serious public health threat. But, but the reason these things are not being done, there's, uh, there's, there are political reasons. Uh, and, uh, and it's because um, oil industry has, has a corrupting influence on the politics and decision-making. Uh, you know, they pollute the communities and they corrupt our politics because of uh, the, the way they contribute to various uh, campaigns. And um, um, so, so, so that has to be addressed. And the way we are addressing that at CBE is, you know, building people's power and providing those technical tools so that people can uh, take charge of uh, uh, their communities and um, uh, put the right people essentially in the decision-making seat. Uh, so that w that's one aspect, which is a significant impact on the public health uh, stuff. Uh, so, you know, if you're expanding refineries without proper analysis by AQMD or if you're not requiring uh, sufficient emission reduction regulation uh, in the refineries or in other sectors, there is a reason, there's a political reason for that. Another aspect of it is that because fossil fuel is inherently polluting and creates significant public health threats and impacts, you know, uh, you know asthma, cardiovascular diseases, other respiratory diseases, low you know, uh, birth defects, cancer, it has to be phased out. So the question is that how are you going to phase it out? And the way you, you would phase it out is through a just transition process or equitable transition process. And that requires vision by the leadership, uh, people in charge, um, in the governor's office, in the mayor's office, the regional leadership. It requires vision, uh, political courage, essentially. Um, and it requires heavy investment of dollars in clean, renewable energy and creating good paying union jobs uh, in the renewable sector. Uh, unfortunately, we are not really seeing any aggressive uh, um, uh, actions on either those fronts, either the visionary actions or leadership um, or you know, significant investment of uh, funds to create those just transition blueprints. And that's what's needed to eventually transition away from fossil fuel and create those good paying jobs for the workers and the community. More than about 15 years ago, a group of folks called us um, from Wilmington and they said, what is happening in our neighborhood? Um, there is you know, noise, there's pollution, there's people are getting, um, having respiratory problems. 24 hours seven, the operation that was happening, that was Warren Oil, Warren ENP oil drilling operation was happening. So that's when we got first involved with oil drilling and we went and we saw, oh, wow, this is crazy. This is massive oil drilling with a lot of noise and pollution, not letting people sleep 24 seven. They were operating and there were very weak permit conditions by the city of LA and they were violating those very weak permit conditions, which is actually a trend you see in the environmental justice communities. You see uh, weak permit conditions and even those weak permit conditions are not enforced. So, you know, we went through the process to the zoning administrator and 
this was happening across the city. So this scenario was repeating across, across the city. So we realized that this is a systemic problem throughout the city. So we need a citywide ordinance. So we proposed a 2,500 feet setback. And within the last year, uh, we worked with the um, different members of the city council. And for a number of different reasons, we realized that the best way to actually address this issue is not to create a 2,500 setback, but to phase out oil drilling in the city of LA entirely. And uh, that is something that has been, uh, the city attorney reviewed um, that approach and they have given a green light and, you know, they did an analysis and they said it is actually legally defensible. That's the direction that the city is moving on, is phasing out oil drilling. Baram Fazeli is the research and policy director of Communities for a Better Environment. The Making Contact team is Sonia Green, Anita Johnson, Salima Hamourani, Sabine Blazin, and I'm Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.